This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Dousing the dumpster fire. The intention of public auto insurance was not to build up large profits. Policy changes leave ICBC awash in money. How long before it flows back to car owners? Pain beyond the pump. Overall, the cost is just going to go up. Even after you fill up, how unprecedented prices will impact a lot of things you buy. And under lock and key. I think we need to work in partnership with the police to make our communities safer. Retailers protecting their merchandise in a desperate battle against shoplifters. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment. But first, the conflict in Ukraine has taken a terrifying turn. Europe's largest nuclear plant is now burning. The fire at the Zavorzia nuclear power plant began after a bombardment by Russian troops who have been engaged in a fierce battle with Ukrainian forces in a nearby town. According to Ukrainian government officials, elevated levels of radiation are being detected in the area. The plant is one of 15 across Ukraine and accounts for about one quarter of the country's power generation. We are monitoring the situation and we'll bring you more details as things develop. Of course, civilians are paying a very heavy price as Russian forces step up their assault on Ukrainian cities. The UN Refugee Agency says more than a million people have now fled the fighting as the Russian and Ukrainian governments agree to open so-called humanitarian corridors. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. The bombs have not stopped falling. An airstrike captured from a dash cam targeting a residential complex in Chernihiv. Dozens of civilians reportedly killed. Russian warplanes now flying in broad daylight, attacking the areas surrounding the capital. In Borodyanka, the destruction near total. And in Hatne, an airstrike has killed at least two people and left dozens more homeless. This man says some guys passed by here after they'd been to the shop buying groceries and it just exploded in front of them. Another man says somehow we were protected from the explosion wave. The bomb hit just over here. In Donetsk, the region Vladimir Putin is purportedly trying to liberate. Families could be seen removing bodies from what's left of their homes. This woman said, I thought it exploded at us. When it started landing, everything was shaking around us. I was very scared. The UN estimates more than a million people have fled Ukraine in the last week. Thursday, Russian negotiators agreed to limited ceasefires in order to safeguard travel corridors for more refugees to leave the conflict zones. But no indication Russian forces would pull back. I'm on the subway now and it's terrible how many kids are there. <laughs> we won't leave as independent normal country. In more than a week of fighting, Russian advances towards the capital have been minimal. 
but civilians and soldiers alike fortifying defenses, attempting to slow Russian tanks. This welder says to help our army, we'll make anti-wheel hedgehogs. If we run out of metal, we'll make Molotov cocktails. Everyone preparing for an all-out assault in Kyiv. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Canada will become the first country to revoke the status of Russia and Belarus as trading partners under law. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland says Canada is working closely with its allies to encourage them to do the same. This means that Russia and Belarus will no longer receive the benefits, particularly low tariffs, that Canada offers to other countries that are fellow members of the WTO. Instead, Russia and Belarus will be subject to a tariff of 35% on their exports to Canada. Defence Minister Anita Anand also announced Canada will be providing Ukraine with additional weapons and $1 million to put toward the purchase of high-resolution satellite imagery. Well, as the, uh, as the situation worsens in Ukraine and many Canadians are doing what they can to show their support for Ukrainians, both here and overseas. Global's Taya Fast has more on the initiative of two Penticton residents. Ukraine. Two Penticton residents are doing what they can to show support for Ukraine following Putin's unprovoked military invasion of the Eastern European country. It's a small gesture, right? On, in the whole scheme of the world and things, it's a small thing, but it's important. Sherry Mitchell, who is of Ukrainian heritage and still has distant family there today, says the situation is hard to talk about. It's really emotional. I have Ukrainian ties, so I'm a um, second generation Ukrainian. And uh, it's, it's really hard. I can't even imagine. And I'm just, I, I feel frustrated because I feel like we need to do more. And the world needs to be involved. Let's, let's all get together and work on this and, and help Ukraine. Mitchell and Jamie Miller Haywood connected online and put together a support rally last weekend. And they plan to hold another one on Saturday. There was a few of us, um, some friends and some another family showed up. Uh, but Sherry and I just had about 24 hours to plan it. It was kind of last minute. So um, the response that we've gotten since then has been amazing. So we're hoping to see more people out this Saturday. Miller Haywood says that even though she does not have direct ties to Ukraine, she still felt as though she needed to show her support. No, I don't have any Ukrainian heritage, but I do believe that with the threat of nuclear war, this is everybody's problem. The way everything is going globally, this is happening in Europe, but it could very well happen here. The two say they plan to hold a support rally every weekend while the situation continues to unfold across the world. Feeling united, and I think we need to be united in this because there's a lot of people that live in Canada that have family there, and they can't get a hold of their families. So even this, getting together and being united, it means so much. The pair say the rally will take place at the intersection of Warren Avenue and Main Street at noon on Saturday. TFAS, Global News, Penticton. More coverage of the crisis in Ukraine coming up later, but right now things have really turned around for ICBC just a few years after the corporation's finances were famously described as a dumpster fire. It's now expected to see massive profits this fiscal year. So just what will that mean for drivers on the road here in B.C.? Will there be any savings for them? Richard Zussman has more. 
It's a dumpster fire at ICBC that has seemingly been put out. We made it clear that we wanted to put ICBC on a new track through enhanced care, which meant lower rates and care for as long as you need it. Over the past few years, things have financially been all over the road for the public insurer. In 2018-19, the bottom line totaled with a loss of $1.15 billion, improving to a $376 million loss in 2019-20. Changes to no fault in a pandemic getting things back on track in 2020-21. $1.54 billion in profits, of which $900 million was given back in rebates. Now, there's a $1.9 billion profit through three quarters of this year. But long-term financial health is no guarantee. There is still um, some potential uncertainty with the financial markets uh, as we go into the, uh, into the last quarter. So, for example, uh, the situation uh, in Ukraine uh, is, uh, plays very heavily and has potential to play very heavily on financial markets. The rebates handed out in two separate checks were due to a dramatic change in driver behavior, behavior that has now gone back to normal. But there are still profits, and the question is, what should ICBC do with the extra cash? With ICBC being a forced monopoly for auto insurance, uh, we think that they should make it as low cost as possible. So they should rebate that back to drivers. You know, the people that are paying uh, their insurance should get the benefit of any excess uh, premiums uh, returned to them. But before drivers, watchdogs and politicians get too excited, ICBC already has a plan for all those profits. The profits are going to be directed to capital. Capital is really important because essentially it provides a backstop to insurers in the event that something goes really wrong. Those investments are now being restored as capital funds were depleted to a point of concern. But it doesn't mean that they will be there forever. More discounts for customers could eventually be in the works, but only after a few years of the insurer being steady at the wheel. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Chances are you've seen the price at the pumps lately, and that means you can expect to start paying more for pretty much everything. Fuel costs are forecast to remain in record high territory for the foreseeable future, and that will impact every link of the supply chain. Catherine Urquhart reports. Regular gas is now closing in on $2 a litre at stations in Metro Vancouver. Consumers are being squeezed at the pump, and soon the record-breaking cost of fuel will mean we'll likely be paying more for everything. Overall, the cost is just going to go up, and they're going to be able to make uh, less money and provide those products onto consumers at a higher price, which ultimately is going to hit families in their pocketbooks, uh, where it really hurts. Food delivery companies like Legends Hall are already feeling the financial hurt from higher gas prices. As we progress through this challenge, we just have to try not to pass it on to the customer because of our current situation with inflation along with fuel. So we're going we're gonna to hang tight and see how this thing comes out. Premier Horgan isn't bending on calls for a tax break. Instead, he's asking British Columbians to change their driving behaviours. All of us uh, need to act accordingly. We need to make choices about how we act, where we go, how we travel. Of course, less travel wouldn't be a good thing for BC's tourism industry, which is desperately hoping for a better season this year. So this comes at a really precarious time for those tourism operators that are so hoping that when spring and summer come that they're going to be able to get back on track. But it is just looking really challenging for so many businesses. 
the rising cost of fuel straining many businesses and British Columbians with no relief in sight. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Shoplifters holding a whole neighborhood hostage. One city council candidate documents what he sees downtown and who he blames for the chaos of theft and violence in just over a minute. The maritime emergency near Stanley Park that had tugboats scrambling coming up on the news hour. And she posed as a nurse for a year in B.C. before she was exposed. The potential punishment after her guilty plea to similar charges in Ontario later. Right now, though, the rash of troubling stranger attacks plaguing Vancouver recently sparked a public forum this afternoon hosted by three Vancouver councillors. Rumi Nadea has the details and the story of a man who says he ended up in hospital after coming to the rescue of a woman who was about to be attacked by a stranger. I got these staples removed from the, the doctor, took out the six staples. How many staples? Six. Six staples to the back of the head. Carl Hartland's gut instinct kicked in the second he turned the corner at Hastings and Carroll, where he saw a woman alone at the bus stop. The lady was standing here. The gentleman was coming behind her. He had the bottle on his side. So all I had time to do was push her out of the way. And when I went like that, he hit me in the back of the head with the beer bottle. The suspect bolted, blood everywhere. Before jumping in a cab to go to hospital, Hartland told the woman to call 911. I asked her, did you know this gentleman? She said, no. Did he ask you for a cigarette? Did he ask for money? She was shaking. She said, no, I didn't even see him. You if, he, if you wouldn't have pushed me out of the way, I would have got hit in the face with that bottle. An alarming number of unprovoked attacks are taking place every 24 hours in Vancouver. According to police, four people are assaulted by a stranger every day, a 35% increase compared to 2019. I know this is a difficult topic to talk about. The deputy police chief, harm reduction and business voices, all participating in the first public safety forum on the issue. More than 200 concerned citizens signed up. The meeting hosted by Vancouver City Councilors Bly, Dominato and Kirby Young. First of all, I think it starts with acknowledging that we have a problem um, because I think that's been dismissed. I also think it starts with supporting law enforcement. I think that there has been a disdain shown by this council and I think it's gaslit the residents of Vancouver. I think it's created division. The escalating number of unprovoked attacks on innocent people in all parts of the city, just the tip of the iceberg, if all agencies don't get aligned, say police. Gaps in mental health and addictions wide. Suspects arrested and released hundreds of times. It's unfortunate, but the violence down here is getting, in the last three or four years, has escalated to the point beyond. Hartland knows he could have died helping a stranger but he says he must protect his community. Romina Dea, Global News. A Vancouver store owner who's been victimized a number of times by crime says a report by one city department has a shocking take on the problem. As Paul Johnson shows us, the report uses words like white supremacy and racism in discussing the problem. Stalking the shelves at Marquee Wine Cellars on Davie Street. Between running his business, owner John Claritas can tell you about his other priority. How is it a compassionate society, a wealthy society, 
allows people to get like that. Trying to stop what he says is a dramatic decline in public safety. Random assaults, window breakage, massive amount of shoplifting, theft, human defecation. Claritas' security cameras captured this brazen theft a while ago when criminals used a blowtorch to shatter his front window and steal an e-bike. Across the street at the home hardware, their shoplifting got so bad they had to install cages around their most valuable items. This city council and this mayor, particularly Kennedy Stewart, has really done nothing to alleviate uh, citizens' fears and concerns. To make his point, Claritas shared this document with us, a recent memo from the Vancouver City Planning Commission, where commissioners ask city councillors not to succumb to a narrow definition of public safety that prioritizes the wealthy and business interests over those most struggling, and raises the issue that if there's more policing, then who will we task to protect those most targeted in the city by systemic racism by the VPD? Why is the Planning Commission basically telling the city not to act on public safety concerns uh, from residents downtown? Peter Meisner is running for city council in this fall's election. He feels less safe than ever downtown and thinks protection for the vulnerable can actually go hand in hand with better public safety. I think we need to work in partnership with the police to make our communities safer. Global News reached out to the office of Mayor Kennedy Stewart, but didn't get a response in time for this report. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. A vigil will be held at UBC's Okanagan campus tomorrow to remember the security guard who was killed early Saturday morning. The vigil for 24-year-old Harmandeep Kaur will begin at 2 o'clock in front of the University Centre. A book of condolence will be available to sign and flags on the UBCO campus will be lowered. Kaur was attacked and killed by a man who also worked on campus. He's in custody under the Mental Health Act. The RCMP investigation is ongoing. WorkSafe BC is also investigating. A high-profile public relations spokesperson is leading a human rights complaint against the city of Surrey and the Cloverdale Rodeo. Longtime rodeo volunteer and contractor Laura Balance is representing a group that alleges the city and the Cloverdale Rodeo allowed for a poisoned work environment by failing to respond to race, disability and sex-based harassment and discrimination over a nine-year period beginning in 2012. The group is calling for anti-harassment policies and training to be put in place. It's also seeking monetary damages for those impacted or who lost their jobs due to human rights code violations. While she wouldn't get into specifics, Balance says she looks forward to proceeding to the hearing so the full magnitude of the abuses are brought forward. Just ahead, climbing the steepest hill. Hey everyone, start giving you an update on what happened. How pro mountain biker Jake Fox is inspiring others with his remarkable comeback from a critical injury. And evidence the Nanaimo house explosion wasn't an accident. I'm Dom Harris, Global One, taking a look at the iron workers. This is just at the north end. It's the Dollarton Main Street on-ramp. As you can see, just slowing down as those lights turn back and forth. Other than that, not really too bad. It's looking good both ways over the bridge deck. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Dom Harris, Global One. Hi about the iron workers. Tragedy in Prince George, where a house fire has claimed the life of a child.
We lost my younger sister. RCMP say the fire broke out Monday afternoon. A three-year-old girl died of her injuries. Two other people were sent to hospital in serious condition. The mother and four children were home when the fire broke out with thick black smoke filling the upper level of the house. There's no word on a cause, but investigators say there's nothing to suggest that it was suspicious in nature. She screamed, ah, fire, and then went dead silent. So I ran upstairs to see black smoke everywhere. I yelled my mom's name for five minutes, and she didn't answer me. And so I tried to book it to my front door to try and get outside. And about halfway through, um, I ran back downstairs because I knew I wouldn't have made it. So I ran downstairs to my little sister, um, and I started banging on my window trying to scream for help. When I heard the news that my mom and my siblings didn't make it out, my whole world went upside down. My brother is still in Vancouver, and my mom is in an induced coma. And they are in stable condition. The family's father is in Vancouver to be with his wife. They've set up a GoFundMe page to help cover expenses. The Crown is asking for 10 years in jail for a woman who fraudulently passed herself off as a nurse in B.C. and Ontario. Bridget Clareau appeared in court today in Ottawa for a sentencing hearing. She pleaded guilty to charges of fraud, assault with a needle and impersonation. Clareau faced or faked her credentials and used another woman's name, putting her in a position to administer needles without proper accreditation. The Crown says 10 years would do justice because Clarou has shaken the public's confidence in the medical system. Clarou's lawyer argues a two-year sentence would be more appropriate. Clarou will be back in court March 30th. Nanaimo police are taking over the investigation into an explosion at a vacant home and they're looking to see if foul play was involved. The explosion happened Sunday evening, reducing the home to rubble. Investigators sifted through the damage, examining areas such as the basement, which they hadn't looked at before. The cause has so far not been confirmed, but police noted a strong natural gas smell after the explosion. RCMP are asking anyone who saw anything suspicious in the area before the incident to contact them. Up next, patio problems. The city of Vancouver doesn't understand that we are still in a pandemic. How red tape is killing what was once a lifeline for struggling restaurants. And remarkable recovery, how mountain biker Jake Fox refused to accept his fate after a catastrophic neck injury. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm Dom Powers in Global One, high above a stall. This is in Burnaby. It's Highway 1 eastbound just after Caribou. So you're going to find it just at that turn before you get to Brunette. It's completely off to the side. Hazards are on. A little bit of a slowdown because it's a visual distraction. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Dom Powers in Global One, high above a stall in Burnaby. 
Well, the hospitality industry says red tape could kill a lot of Vancouver's new outdoor patios just as businesses are trying to recover from the pandemic. As John Waugh reports, it says the city's new guidelines and fees for patios are tone deaf. When business ground to a halt due to the pandemic, many struggling restaurants were desperate for any kind of financial pick-me-up. It has definitely been a struggle in so many different ways. The introduction of a temporary patio program in Vancouver offered some light during the darkest of times. Perhaps without it, we would have drowned financially and, you know, who knows. But now business owners are saying what was once considered a lifeline feels more like a financial weight tied around their ankles by endless red tape. It's completely tone deaf. The city of Vancouver doesn't understand that we are still in a pandemic and uh, they're just kind of living in a different world over there in West 12. This Vancouver's new public property patio guide, 34 pages that includes notice that application fees will no longer be waived. Square footage costs are on the rise and architectural drawings are needed upon review. So a small patio, 12 by 7 feet in Vancouver, is going to cost about $5,000 for a temporary summer patio. The city says once this stopgap pandemic measure was approved as a more permanent patio program, it was time to put overarching standards in place. We needed to really ensure that we had standard approaches for around accessibility and road safety as a whole. The city says it's willing to work with the industry. The response with patio season around the corner, finding an architect on this short notice is next to impossible. And adding costs couldn't have come at a worse time. They say we care about our small businesses, but doing things like this make you feel as though they, they truly don't. While many say they aren't surprised, Vancouver has found a way to take a positive like patios and turn it into a laborsome process. They still can't help but feel pretty steamed. John Hua, Global News. A major tourist attraction in the North Okanagan has been given a tentative green light despite some concerns from the region's planning department. A gondola along with zip lines, restaurants and event spaces is being proposed for an area south of Vernon above Kalamalka Lake. The electoral area directors have voted to allow the proposal to move forward in the regulatory process, even as planners felt it didn't quite fit within the official community plan, which discourages commercial development in what is a rural area. The proponents say the OCP is more than 20 years old and the area is already seeing explosive growth. It's very obvious to us that there's a lot of support for this project and it fits with where the world is today and for the community and how much growth there has been in the region. The developer says it will look at suggested revisions for, for the plan, such as improved traffic control, before deciding on its next step. Our COVID-19 numbers for today show a decrease in overall hospital numbers, but an uptick in patients requiring critical care. There are 511 people in hospital right now. 79 of those patients are in ICU. We have had 13 more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus, including a person in their 30s. And we have 391 new confirmed cases recorded. Keith Baldry joins us uh, now live. Keith, the Premier held a press conference today and perhaps stole a little bit of thunder from what we're expecting at next week's COVID-19 update on, on restrictions. So what did he give away? 
Yeah, the Premier again likes to get ahead of things, and he did that again today, talking about the expectation that next week we're going to hear from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix about lifting restrictions. The Premier says he's going to be briefed on Monday, which sets the stage for an announcement sometime later next week by the two health officials about getting rid of, among other things, the mask mandate. The Premier today talking about what, how he's going to react when the rules change, we're no longer requiring him to wear masks indoors. Here's the Premier. One's going to be going at a different speed, and uh, I fully intend, uh, just coming out of uh, cancer treatment, to continue wearing a mask uh, in, inside and in social settings with people that I'm unfamiliar with. And I, I'm confident that people won't begrudge me that, and nor should anyone else. If, if British Columbians are comfortable wearing masks, you should let them wear masks. And if they're uncomfortable, uh, provided the mandates have been lifted, then uh, that's their right as well, or that's their choice, I should say. So again, we expect the announcement sometime next week, midweek. The usual briefing is on Tuesday. It may come after that from Dr. Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. I think the goal is to have these lifted, both uh, the indoor mask mandate and the vaccine uh, proof of vaccine requirement at certain venues lifted in time for spring break. We'll hopefully hear from that sometime next week, probably midweek. That is coming up quick. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. And returning now to our top story, breaking news on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and that power plant that is currently burning. We have uh, possibly a bit of reassuring news to share with you. We told you off the top of the news hour that a fire had broken out at Europe's largest nuclear plant in Ukraine after it was bombarded by Russian troops. The International Atomic Energy Agency now says Ukrainian officials report the fire is in a training facility just outside the main plant, and there has been no change in reported radiation levels. The plant spokesman is quoted as saying the reactor is actually under renovation and not operational at the moment, but there is nuclear fuel inside. Now, in health matters tonight, for many of us, it is nearly impossible to turn away from what we are seeing in Ukraine. But the constant stream of images can have an impact on our mental health and the health of our children. As Global's Jamie Dahl reports, for some, that means pivoting their anxiety into something more positive. I found myself lying in bed uh, earlier this week, just sleepless and, and looking at the images rolling by on the news feeds and um and i wanted to be able to do something what better way than to use his love for an ancient ukrainian art form to help the people in the very place it originated i wanted people to be able to kind of make a donation and receive one of my practice uh, eggs um in return um a lot of people have just been saying i'm making a donation you can give the egg to someone else i found it a stimulus to do something was the way that I could come to grips with some of that uh, anxiety and, you know, just concern. The constant stream of images of war has left many people feeling helpless. This is riding on the back of the pandemic and I think people are going to have, it's going to have a coupling effect where people are experiencing more distress and more mental health than we would normally see uh, from war images. This post, written by a social media safety educator, analyzing the comments made by kids watching war content on social media platforms. He's urging parents to get their young kids off of apps. A lot of them are completely oblivious and desensitized to what is happening. The mocking, the joking that I'm seeing tells me parents haven't sat down and had the conversation with their kids. Not only are they desensitized for the ones who are taking it seriously, it's causing anxiety, unlike we haven't seen probably since the beginning of COVID. Psychologists say it's important for adults to talk to their children and limit screen time. 
They say doing proactive things can ease anxiety and that heaviness of feeling helpless. John Ball has been warmed by the positive response he's getting. He's choosing to stay optimistic as well. The eggshells may be fragile objects, but the culture will not be trampled on. Jamie Dahl, Global News. Such beautiful art. All right, up next, a dad to the rescue. How he stepped in when his cowboy son couldn't defend himself from a charging bull. Also ahead, a close call in Burrard Inlet. Why tugboats rush to the rescue. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A close call for a loaded freighter off Stanley Park late this morning. The Coast Guard confirms the Liberian-flagged bulk carrier Marvel 1 experienced engine problems as it was outbound to China just under the Lionsgate Bridge before noon. It quickly dropped anchor and came to rest in some shallow water just off Siwash Rock. Four tugs were dispatched. The grain ship eventually regained power and was moved further out into English Bay for assessment. The Coast Guard says none of the 21 people on board was injured and there is no sign of pollution. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. Uh, You called this a transition day, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which uh, makes sense since the day ended up like this, uh, right? So we did have a few showers earlier today, transition day to that big upper level ridge that we've been advertising, which is on the way. First, though, we had a number of rainbows across the region today. I thought I'd show you a few more photos and give you a quick explanation of how they occur. This first one from the Nanaimo area, Entrance Island, gorgeous, full rainbow there, and a couple more, one from White Rock. And uh, what's this other one from... Oh, yeah, the Vancouver area. So basically, you have a raindrop and uh, the sun's rays go into the fluid. And as it does, refraction occurs. So it divides into its different colors. And then on the inside of the raindrop, it reflects off of the inside as that arc occurs uh, on the inside of the droplet. And that's what creates the rainbow. And sometimes the reflection inside the raindrop can occur twice. And that's why you get the double rainbow. And don't forget, if you ever to see a double rainbow, make sure you check the colors because they're the opposite. They go from red to purple or violet, and then the opposite is the double rainbow from violet to purple. All right. So we're not totally in the clear. We still do have a chance of showers, especially out through the Fraser Valley uh, into tomorrow morning. But overall, yes, today was the transition day to that big upper level ridge that's going to clear the skies out, not only tomorrow, but through the weekend also. So uh, and into Monday, potentially as well. So lots to look forward to. Any of the cloud cover you see here is really just mainly through the morning hours. A few flurries in through that southeastern corner. That's going to shift out tomorrow. But for our region, the drops that you see here is very slight chance into the early morning hours. Otherwise, we are trending towards sunshine for the next several days. Lots to look forward to. It'll be warm during the day, but as I can attest to right now, temperatures with the clear skies will drop down at night, so it'll be chilly at night and potentially frosty through the morning hours. This is this afternoon in the Sumas Prairie area. Thanks to Clarence and Jenny for that one. Uh, of course, the Sumas Prairie, one of the areas that were hit uh, very hard with the floods, so maybe there's a pot of gold there, which would be nice for someone there. It almost looks like it for sure. Thankful for the rain- of gold. Thankful for the rainbows out there, especially. Thanks very much for everybody who sent in those photos. Gorgeous. All right, a heroic display of a parent's love took center stage at a rodeo in Texas. Take a look. 
video of a rodeo rider's brush with danger is going viral. Immediately thrown from a bucking bull, 18-year-old Cody Hooks was visibly dazed from his fall. His father, concerned for his son and seeing the ball coming back, throws himself on his child to protect him. Cody later posted the heroic moment, thanking his dad and fellow bull riders for their quick and selfless actions. Tough guys. Very tough guys. And tough bulls. Yeah, tough bulls. Got to watch out for them. All right, uh, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. All right. Uh, this Saturday, the Whitecaps are home to NYFC. And for keeper Thomas Assault, his family will be able to see him. First time the entire family has gotten together to see their boy play live as a pro. So for them to be able to watch me and be proud is the smallest thing I could give back to them. Let's just hope the Hassall family sees a much better game from the Whitecaps than we saw last week. Also tonight, jumping for joy, how Jake Fox is inspiring others with his epic comeback. All right, Squire is here now with sports. Yes, Squire. indeed. I will begin now. So after giving too much sympathy to the Devils on Monday, the Canucks have a chance to make everyone forget about the loss by beating the Islanders tonight. And even though the Islanders are the home team, they just came back from a five-game Western road trip. They don't have Matt Barcel. They don't have Zidane Ochera. They're both hurt. So they'll be tired, sore, should be advantage Canucks. And Vancouver has Thatcher Demko back in goal. And Demko is going to get a bit lucky and then get good. All in this quick little moment. Puck hits the top of the net, doesn't go in. Adam Pellet gets his own rebound and then Demko makes the save. Nothing happened in the first period on the score sheet. Second period, Islanders open it up. Noah Dobson, this shot. I don't think Demko even saw it. Finds its way in, and it's 1-0. Brad Hunt gets one that I also think the goalie didn't see. That's not a penalty. It's a giveaway, and Hunt rips it from close range, and we're even again. 1-1. Brock Besser is a streaky scorer, and right now he's in a gully, as you might say. Not scoring goals, and he's stopped there by Semyon from Barlamov. But he would get an assist on the go-ahead goal by the Canucks. This is a pass, and it's tipped in by J.T. Miller. Vancouver now up 2-1. to one. Couldn't hold the lead, though. Here's a, this is a design play. You don't often see these actually work the way they're designed. But it did this time. Pellick to Palmieri, and Kyle Palmieri makes it 2-2. In the third period, Brock Besser has a bad moment. First of all, he gives the puck away. Then he knocks in that shot by Anthony Beauvillier. Would it have gone in anyway? I'm not so sure, but it goes in off Besser. However, after that, the Canucks scored two goals in 45 seconds. Hoaglander and Pod Colson, so they have the lead back. So all is well so far. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps didn't make many player changes between last season and this season, but one they did make was huge. Trading goalkeeper Max Crapo after he asked to be dealt away from Vancouver. Crapo was definitely the Caps' MVP last year. He made huge saves. If it wasn't for him, Vancouver would not have made the playoffs. And those saves are what they need 
from this year's starting keeper, Thomas Assault, who wasn't able to save the Whitecaps against Columbus in the opening game last weekend. Look at him find his way through the box, and now it's Celeron! Thomas Hassall realized a dream last week, making his first start as a number one MLS goalkeeper, but it turned out to be a nightmare to no fault of his own. Hassall was abandoned by his teammates in a 4-0 thrashing at Columbus last week in his first official start as the Caps' number one keeper. He's hoping this weekend's home opener has a happier ending. It'll be a special moment for the 22-year-old from Saskatoon. His family will be in the stands, and it'll be the first time his dad has seen him live in MLS. It's huge. Uh, my family has done so much for me. You know, they've sacrificed so much to even be able to get to a point like this. Without them, I wouldn't be able to be here. So for them to be able to watch me and be proud is the smallest thing I could give back to them. Filling Max Crepeau's big boots won't be easy. Crepeau literally saved the Whitecaps season last year with a series of saves we don't expect goalkeepers to make. But that is part of the deal. Give your team a boost. Hassel's confident he can be that guy and also be that field general. He may be quiet off the pitch, but he finds that loud voice when needed on it. You see someone open, you see this happening, you got to yell. Like It's your job on the pitch. It doesn't matter if you're a younger guy on the team or anything, it's, it's just your job at that point. So there's two different sides, might be timid off of it, but once you get on the pitch, it's a completely different story. He will need time, but uh, he needs to step up also. So that's, it's, it's a kind of a two-way process. We need to help him and he needs to help us. And, uh, and he also needs to help himself too. The Edmonton Elks are turning back to the double E helmets after going with antlers last year. I never figured out why they just didn't keep the old double E since Edmonton and Elks both start with E, would have saved money. The only difference is with the new helmet is the E's are bigger than they used to be. The NFL says effective immediately, all COVID protocols are no longer necessary unless teams want to continue them or they have local mandates that insist on them. But if they can, teams are required or no longer required, I should say, to test players regardless of whether someone is vaccinated or not. And there are no more mask requirements. First round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational and Rory McIlroy from long range sinks the eagle putt. Two shot lead after uh, shooting a seven under 65. I want to show you the world's number one player doing something every duffer does. Watch this short putt for John Rahm. Yep. What? He just went for the tap and He barely touched it. Exactly, but it didn't move but a few inches. I, I don't know. A ball made of lead or something? <laughs> take a look at this one. He finally gets it in. See, even the world's number one can mess things up. For whatever reason, Kelly Olynyk and the Detroit Pistons give the Raptors trouble. They don't give anybody else trouble. They give the Raptors trouble. Olynyk there in the fast break. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. does hit a three-pointer here at halftime, right at the buzzer. Yep. Count it. Well, just before the buzzer. That last check. See? Pistons giving Toronto trouble again. 194 in the fourth. There you go. Thank you very much, Squire. Up next, a pro mountain bike rider back in the saddle after a catastrophic crash. The 24-year-old mountain biker who defied gravity with his sport is now defying the odds. A life-altering injury nearly ended his riding career, but as Jay Durant reports, Jake Fox is back on two wheels. There wasn't much fear for Jake Fox when he was on a mountain bike. Nothing he wouldn't try on two wheels. I just landed a new sponsorship and I was 
really excited to really push myself for the upcoming season. But last July, he missed a landing and went over the handlebars, fracturing his C5 vertebra. He was told there was only a 5% chance he would walk again. That's when the shock hit us because that's when we were basically, his surgeon looked at us and said, you know, your son suffered a massive spinal injury. Hey everyone, just want to give you an update on what happened. But his push to prove the doctors wrong would inspire other patients at Vancouver's GF Strong Rehabilitation Centre. Just upbeat, good energy, and I think that was um, really important for clients to see. Um, and I think that had a positive influence on the people that he was around. He would double up on his physio appointments. Small gains became major achievements. Doing good, man. Yeah. Five weeks after the crash, Jake took his first steps. Really good. Okay, I can do this. I am maybe going to be that 5%. Very impressive. Three months later, he was riding again. And other clients at GF Strong saw that on his Instagram account. I heard them talking and they were like, oh, Jake, Jake's on a bike. Fox hopes his story can help motivate others. He's working hard to make a full recovery, having already surpassed what seemed impossible just last summer. But if the confidence comes back, then awesome, and I'll be riding at that level. But if it doesn't, I'm going to be just as happy riding super mellow trails as I once was pushing the envelope of the sport. Like, just even being back on the bike is, is more than amazing for me. Jay Durant, Global News. Something tells me he's going to keep going in that recovery. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And continued good luck on that path coming right back, Jake. That's an inspiring story for sure. Okay, sun's down now. It's dark behind Christy, but boy, we did notice tonight it's getting lighter and lighter. And it is. The day's getting longer and longer, which is so nice, especially since we have so much sunshine on the way. Keep in mind, they're still long enough. The nights are that it will get chilly at night, but at least we'll warm up nicely during the day. Also, a fog advisory in place for Prince George, Quinnell. So watch for freezing fog tomorrow morning and icy conditions. We'll also see some extensive fog in through the Coquihalla. But otherwise, enjoy the sunshine. Well, that's a good looking weekend. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all.